1 Kings chapter 18, verses 1 through 2. Holy Scripture reads, After a long time the word of Yahweh came to Elijah in the third year, Go and present yourself to Ahab. I will send rain on the surface of the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. The famine was severe in Samaria. And Yahweh bless this word to our, all of our hearts today. In our last lesson in 1 Kings, I talked about how that Yahweh, through Elijah, his man, his prophet, raised the little widow's son to life. Remember, he had been staying with her for the latter part of the drought, the no dew or no rain. Now here in 1 Kings 18, 1-2, it's our first reference in 1 Kings to how long the drought lasted. In 1 Kings 17, verse 1, we read that Elijah said to King Ahab, As Yahweh, the Mighty One of Israel, lives, I stand before him, and there will be no dew or rain during these years except by my command. Now, we know that the drought lasted years from 1 Kings 17, verse 1, but in 1 Kings 18, 1, we read after a long time, and then we read the word of Yahweh came to Elijah in the third year. So this lets us know that the drought lasted around a three-year period. We'll talk more about that momentarily. Now that's a long drought. Three years without dew or rain is a long time to not have any rain. I was telling a brother the other day that we needed some rain here locally, and we've only been lacking it for a couple of months. And, and even then, it hasn't stopped completely. A few days ago, Tisha and I were sitting in the house, and I heard it start raining outside. I love to hear rain on the tin roof. So I got so excited that I went outside, Sister Dorothy. I walked out in the rain. I raised my hands up to the sky, and I thanked Yahweh for the rain. I just let it hit my face, and it felt so good. Over the summer, this past summer, I've been studying a lot about rain in the Bible, and I've started going out. When it starts to rain, I've started going out and just standing in it for a little bit because it's one way that Yahweh shows us that He loves us. It's by sending us rain, Matthew 5, 43 through 48. And I figure that everything else in nature is enjoying the rain, so why am I not enjoying it? And of course, as we've covered here, for Yahweh to remove the rain for over a three-year period is a curse, and that's because Yahweh controls the weather. We talked about that in a previous message. Yahweh can send rain to bless. He can remove rain to curse. He can send too much rain to curse as well. So Yahweh was cursing the nation of Israel because of the evil that had trickled down from the top man. King Ahab was his name. And at this time he was a Baal worshiper. And he was involved in slaughtering Yahweh's prophets as well as the majority of the nation of Israel at that time as well. There was a remnant. Yahweh left a remnant, 7,000 people, but 7,000 is very small compared to hundreds of thousands, maybe over a million that were Baal worshippers and apostate at this time. So here we are in 1 Kings 18.1 where we read, After a long time the word of Yahweh came to Elijah in the third year. Now the drought began in 17.1, and now in the third year Yahweh's word comes to Elijah and he tells Elijah, I'm going to send rain on the surface of the land, go and present yourself to King Ahab. So Yahweh stopped the blessing of his reign, and then over three years later, he said, I'm going to send rain again. But as 18.1 begins, it was after a long time. 
Elijah had to wait a long time for Yahweh to provide what he had stopped. The righteous remnant in Israel had to wait a long time for Yahweh to provide what he had stopped. The drought did not just affect the Israelites that had abandoned the covenant. The drought affected everybody that lived in that area, even those who were righteous. Sometimes our word from Yahweh comes after a long time. There are times in my life, and there are likely times in yours, when you feel that Yahweh's word is alive, active, vibrant, He's showing you things, and it's very powerful. There are times when all I have to do is open up my Bible for a few minutes and begin to read, and the words jump off the pages, and I feel like Yahweh is speaking to me, and He is. He does speak to us when we read His Word. But there are also times when I experience a drought in my life. Bible reading or Scripture meditation just doesn't seem like it once did. Sometimes it slacks off completely and I've not read my scriptures, or I've not meditated on the scriptures. Now, I want to do my best to encourage you today, saints. Yahweh is still alive. He's still strong. He's powerful. He's active. Even when it doesn't seem or feel like His Word is coming to you in those ways. Yahweh's still there. He's still your friend, saints. He's still your friend. He's still your mighty one. He's still up there. His hands are not tied. He didn't go to sleep. He hasn't stopped working. He still loves us. Let me illustrate this for you if I can. I'm going to try my best to illustrate this. Now, I have friends. I'm putting air quotes around that in my life. And then I have friends in my life. And I tried to emphasize the second time I said friend. You know what I mean. I try to be friendly to everybody that I meet. So in one sense of the word, I have a lot of friends because I try to be friendly. The Bible says if a man wants to have friends, he's got to show himself friendly, right? But in the more literal sense of the word, in the technical sense of the word, like a true, genuine friend, I have a few of those. I have a few serious, genuine friends. And the majority of them are in this congregation. (laughs) There's a few of them outside, but not many, not many at all. One of them that is outside of this congregation is my dad. My dad is one of my true best friends. And I like it that way. It is amazing. And this only comes with time, I believe, because I I could not say this at one time in my life. But it is amazing how that when you grow up, you mature, you become a husband, you become a father, like I have, how it makes a man appreciate his dad more than he ever has appreciated him before. I've always loved my dad. I've always been friends with my dad. Even when he was tough on me, it was still tough love. He's always loved me. My dad's never left me. He's never forsaken me. But since I got married and I have children and now I have four teenagers, one eight year, almost eight-year-old, David will be eight, October the 6th, and I have four teenagers in my home. That's a new experience, Sister Lisa. And I've went through a lot of my adult life now, and I'm continuously learning. I don't think we ever stop learning, but I've learned a whole lot since my children have gotten older. 
My dad means so much more to me now than he ever did before. He's like a rock, man. He's like a pillar. Now, there has been times when I have not talked to or seen my dad for weeks. It's not that he doesn't love me or that I don't love him. It's just life. He works a lot. I work. We have daily tasks. But after a few weeks of not seeing my dad or not talking to my dad, and sometimes maybe a few months of not seeing or talking to him before, when I do see him after that absence of not talking or seeing him, the first thing we do is smile. He comes up to me, hugs me. My dad always is a long hugger when he hugs me. He don't just hug me and then let go. He hugs me. And then I sit there and I think he's ready to let go and then he start patting my back. And he say, I love you, son. And that means so much to me now at 35. It didn't mean as much when I was 15, but it means so much to me now at 35 because my daddy loves me. He loves me a lot, and I love him. No matter how long I go without talking to him or seeing him, when I do see him, we pick right back up where we left off. No animosity, no problems, true love. My point is, is that even though there's no direct communication for us sometimes for a while, there's still a bond between us because he's my daddy and I'm his son. And that's kind of how it is with Yahweh. I know it's not a perfect illustration, but hopefully you get my point. Even when we feel like Yahweh is gone away and we haven't heard from him for a long time, even when you pray and you just don't feel like your prayers are making any progress, they're not making it to Yahweh, and even when a saint stops praying, sometimes we stop praying, not because we don't love Yahweh, but because we're so weary and we're so worn and we're so tired and we can't get the words out to pray. It's in our mind and we may meditate and that may be a form of prayer, but we just don't feel like praying sometimes. Sometimes. Anybody ever been there? I don't think I'm alone in my life when I say that. I talked to my dear precious sister and she said now she's opened up a lot this is not in my notes. I think she'll be okay with me saying this. She's opened up a lot to me because remember she went through a lot with little Hollis when he had to stay in the hospital for two months. I'm not a mother. I don't know what it feels like to birth a child. And I can't even imagine after you birth a child that you have to leave him there hooked up to all these cords and wires and everything. But she opened up to me. She said, I never lost my faith, Matthew, but it got real tiny. It got real weak. And I couldn't find the words to pray. But I told her, I said, Miranda, I said, even the, the tiniest amount of faith is still faith. Tiniest amount. Yeah. Yahweh is still her Abba, her father. I like how Brother Jamie and Sister Linda, the couple that got married, when I would talk to them, they would call him Ab, A-B. And that's the Hebrew word for dad. They would say, Ab is so good to us. I thought, man, that's so made me smile when I would hear him say that. No matter how weary or how tired you are or how worn out you are spiritually, Yahweh's still your Abba. He's still your dad. And when you go weeks or even months without direct communication, when you finally come back to meet him, he's there to hug you. He's there to love on you. He's still your dad. You're still his child. He's really our father. He really is. He's a loving Father. Whether your faith is strong or weak, whether it's big or tiny, mine fluctuates. I don't know about you, but mine goes up and down. The tiniest amount of faith in Yahweh is still faith. 
Sometimes we have to wait until after a long time, 1 Kings 18, verse 1, for the word of Yahweh to come to us again. And that's okay. That's all right. After a long time, the word of Yahweh came to Elijah. And sometimes after a long time, it takes the word of Yahweh to come to us. Your relationship with Yahweh is not based upon how you feel. And I'm so thankful for that because I don't always feel righteous. I don't always feel strong spiritually. On our rough days, on your rough days where you feel like giving up, Yahweh is still just as strong as He's ever been. And on your brightest days where you feel the most spiritual up on top of the spiritual mountain, like you're on the mountain of Elohim, walking with Him, like Enoch and Noah. Guess what? Yahweh is still exactly the same amount of strong as He was on your rough day. He doesn't fluctuate. He stays at the same level. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that great? I got goosebumps when I just said that. He doesn't fluctuate. He's constant. He's a constant mighty one. You aren't saved because you have such a tight grip on Yahweh. You are saved because Yahweh has such a tight grip on you. You are not redeemed or will not be redeemed because of something you did for Yahweh. You'll be redeemed because of something that Yahweh did for you. He sent His only begotten Son. Your salvation doesn't get stronger on your better days and weaker on your bad days. Whether your faith is strong or weak, He's still the same Yahweh. Even when your word from Yahweh doesn't feel like it is there, He's still there. He's still your Abba, your Father, your Dad. And He hugs you, and He likes to give them long hugs just like my daddy. Pat you on the back. I love you, my son. Now, look with me again to 1 Kings 18, 1 through 2. The Bible says it was after a long time that the word of Yahweh came to Elijah in the third year. And Yahweh told Elijah, Go and present yourself to Ahab. I'm going to send rain on the surface of the land. So Elijah went to present himself to King Ahab. Now we don't read this next piece of information in the Old Testament. But when we get further into the Gospels and into the New Testament epistles, we read something like in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 4 verse 25, where Yeshua himself says that the sky was shut up, that means drought, no rain, for three years and six months during the days of Elijah. Yeshua knew his ancestors' history. And so he talks about that drought, three years and six months. And then we read, and I want to turn over to this one. We read something in the book of James. Let's turn our Bibles to the book of James. We read this in James chapter 5, the last chapter in Yaakov or James' epistle to the scattered Israelites, believing... James chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. We read this. Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The intense prayer of the righteous is very powerful. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, yet he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruit, harvest from the rain, the greenery, the fruit. Now James says that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. 
And James is talking to saints or believers in Yahweh and Yeshua. Then James says, after he mentions Elijah's nature being like ours, James says, yet he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the land. Now James is the only person that specifically mentions this in the whole Bible. Yeshua doesn't mention Elijah praying that it would not rain. And 1 Kings doesn't mention Elijah praying that it would not rain, but James does. When James says that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, James is talking about this, a nature that gets tired, that gets weary, that becomes weak from the trials of life. Elijah got wore out just like the Israelites that James wrote to and just like us today. Elijah got wore out. James is encouraging the weak people in the assemblies. And that's why he follows up that statement, Elijah was a man with a like nature as ours, yet he prayed earnestly, and Yahweh answered his prayer. He may have been weary, he may have been worn, he may have been tired, he may have been weak. A lot of trials faced Elijah. He lived out in the wilderness. He lived in a heathen city of Zarephath. But yet he prayed, and Yahweh answered his prayer. James is telling people, don't lose hope. Elijah felt like you feel. Elijah got tired. He got weary. But don't lose hope because when Elijah prayed, Yahweh listened. And when the elders pray over you and you join them in prayer, Yahweh will listen even when you're weak, worn, and weary. Now, I would refer everybody in here to Brother TJ's excellent exposition of James 5 on this text. Brother TJ shared with us, and I agree with him, that James here is not writing about putting a dot of oil on somebody's forehead because they're physically sick. I was taught that that's what James is talking about, but in context, it's not. It's not what he's talking about. I have no problem praying for the sick. I believe Yahweh can heal just as much today as He healed back in the days of Moses. If He wants to heal, Yahweh can heal, okay? Got no problem with that. That's not what James is talking about. What James is talking about is he's writing about the elders. They're called on because the saint is weak, the word is better translated in James 5 as if there are any weak, not sick, but there's any weak among you, let them call for the elders of the assembly. The elders come and they crush and rub the oil on their body as a form of refreshing. It's like a, a medicinal quality to the oil. And it's because they've been going through a trial and they're weak. And I'm going to stop right there at that point. You can listen or re-listen to Brother TJ's sermon on that for more detail. I also have an article that another brother wrote that I'm sharing with Brother Randy Excellent article. It kind of goes right along with Brother TJ's lesson, but yet TJ and this man that wrote the article don't even know each other. So Yahweh was at work when all that was taking place when he was teaching through James. Now, the point I want to bring up is that James speaks of two prayers of Elijah. One before the drought and one at the close of the drought. Elijah prayed that it would not rain and Yahweh stopped the rain as an answer to Elijah's prayer, even though he was weak, tired, and worn. And then Elijah prayed again. He's still weak, tired, and worn. We're going to see at the end of 1 Kings 18, he's, he's, he's still weak, he's still tired, he's been going through a lot, but he prayed again, and Yahweh sent the rain. The first prayer that James speaks of in James 5 is not even mentioned in the Old Testament. The prayer where James says Elijah prayed that it would not rain, that's not even mentioned in the Old Testament. 
Elijah announces the drought to Ahab in 1 Kings 17 verse 1, but we never read of Elijah praying to Yahweh for it not to rain. Now, was James wrong? No. James was not wrong. He didn't have a brain lapse. He didn't have any problems going on with his mind. James knew that Elijah had prayed because the story had been passed down from father to son, father to son, father to son in the nation of Israel. Yeshua knew about the three and a half years. James knew about the three and a half years. And James enlightens us. I believe the Holy Spirit had James include this in his epistle as James was writing to the, to the congregations and tell us that the drought was a result of Yahweh's power through Elijah's prayer to Yahweh. Remember, Yahweh listened to Elijah when he prayed. Yahweh listened to him. The Bible says at the end of 1 Kings 17 that when he prayed for that little widow's son, Yahweh listened to the voice of Elijah. They were close. Had a close relationship. So James tells us a truth here. And it doesn't contradict anything in 1 Kings. It just builds upon it. Now, the Old Testament does at least mention the prayer of Elijah to close the drought. We're not going to read it. It's at the end of 1 Kings 18. It's verse 42. 1 Kings 18.42 is the prayer of Elijah to close the droughts. The second prayer. And only what he did is recorded. The words to the prayer are not recorded. But the Bible says that Elijah bowed down with his face to the ground. He bowed down and got on his knees and he put his face in between his knees and he prayed. And in that prayer, he must have asked Yahweh to let it rain because of what James 5 tells us. He informs us. He doesn't give us the words. That's his posture when he prayed. He bowed down. He covered his face as a gesture of humility. That lets us know righteous prayer is humble prayer. That's the prayer that moves Yahweh. Let me talk about that for a second. In James 5 verse 16, it says this in the HCSB. The intense prayer of the righteous is very powerful. As a child, I memorized a lot of Scripture verses. My daddy was a preacher. My mama was a singer. I went to Christian school. I know a lot of Bible verses. King James Version, that's what we read. No, I've got no problem with that. Okay. And I memorized that verse, and it says, The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's how it says in the King James Version. So sometimes when I quote verses, they still come out King James, because that's how I memorize them. Okay. Now, when I grew up, I heard a lot of preachers preach on James 5. Not contextually, but one verse out of context, I believe, and they would quote that verse, The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, and... They would teach, imply, insinuate that that meant rev it up when you pray. Get loud, pray for a long time, get God's attention. I remember I used to hear that. Get God's attention when you pray. You've got to pray, pray long, rev it up, pray loud. Almost as though if you didn't break a sweat when you prayed, your prayer wasn't good enough. But effectual, fervent, and intense prayer. Listen to this. Catch this now. This is going to bless your socks off. Effectual, fervent, and intense prayer does not mean to be louder or pray for a long time. And the reason we know this for sure is because the example given is Elijah's prayer. That's the example that James gives. So if we want to know what an effectual, fervent prayer looks like, we need to go back to Elijah. Now the prophets of Baal, they danced all around. 
They prayed from morning till noon. Even cut themselves. Trying to get their mighty one's attention. But when it was Elijah's turn to pray, he just humbly bowed his head, said a few lines to Yahweh, acknowledged Yahweh as being the Creator, the Sovereign, said, I'm but your servant. And Yahweh answered from heaven by fire. And then when he prayed for rain, he knelt down to the ground, put his face between his knees, and the words are not even recorded. And then Yahweh answered with rain. Now this is encouraging to me. It's so encouraging to me because it reminds me, and I hope that it reminds you, that Yahweh's power is not tied to how eloquent we can sound in our prayers or how long we might pray. That's not where Yahweh's power is. It's not like if we pray loud and say a lot of words that it all of a sudden unstops Yahweh's ears and He can hear us. No. No. The prophets of Baal, they thought that's how they would get Baal's attention. That's not how you get Yahweh's attention. You don't have to speak louder. You don't have to say a lot of words. You don't have to be eloquent. Some of the greatest prayers I've ever heard pray is by old saints in the faith. Elderly saints in the faith. The older people get, they revert back to praying like a little child. It's just a simple, humble prayer. So effectual, fervent, and intense prayer means pray with humility. Humility is what's effectual. Humility is what is fervent. It does not matter how weak you feel, brother or sister, it doesn't matter how weak you feel. It doesn't matter if you think you're on your last leg. It does not matter if you're weary and you're worn. It doesn't even matter if you can't get the words out of your mouth. Intense prayer means you bow down before Yahweh, covering your face, which, which simply is a metaphor meaning you recognize you're but a servant, but clay in Yahweh's hands. You honor Him as the King that He is. And you simply pray a prayer of brokenness and humility before Yahweh. Psalm 34 says, Yahweh is near to the brokenhearted and He saves those crushed in spirit. There is a state that you can enter into that gets Yahweh's attention. It's not by you revving it up. It's by your humbleness and your brokenness. And then all of a sudden Yahweh says, Oh, they finally realized they can't do it without me. They finally gave up. They finally let loose of the reins and let me hold them like I was supposed to be holding them all the time. I'm going to answer. I'm going to answer. That's my son. That's my daughter. Yahweh is not looking for a people who think that they can get His attention by speaking more or speaking louder. Yahweh is looking for a people who know that we don't have the power to get His attention. He wants you to pray to Him with a humble heart and a broken spirit, knowing that you're helpless and you're hopeless apart from Him. And it's funny, when we do that, when we lower ourselves, when we lessen ourselves, even as Yeshua taught many times in His parables, if we humble ourselves, then Yahweh starts to lift us up. He starts to exalt us. And that's James' point in James chapter 5. And I want you to notice one more thing that we read here in James 5. Probably shouldn't have closed my Bible up, but I'll tell it to you. It's in verse 16. It talks about confession of sins. And the confession of sins is tied to being healed. Once again, I don't believe that healing in James 5 is physical. I think it's spiritual healing. That you're weak in the faith. Confession of sin is tied to being healed spiritually. 
Now, I realize that when we pray to Yahweh, we make our requests known unto Him. That's Bible. There's Bible for that. We should make our petitions known to Yahweh. That's fine. Scriptures say we do it, so we should do it. But that's not the only thing that we do when we pray. Amen? We don't just ask Yahweh for things. We exalt Him. We thank Him. We lift Him up. And we confess our sins. Yeshua taught us to model prayer. And He said, Give us this day our daily bread, so it's a daily prayer, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That's just as much a daily prayer as give us this day our daily bread. Something we should pray every day. We do every day. I believe that a huge part that's missing from a lot of people's prayer lives is the confession of sin. As you bow down before Yahweh, you evaluate your life and you confess the areas of your life that sin or fall short of His commandments. And as I like to say, be open with Yahweh. He already knows everything about you. He knows you how you act when nobody's around you. Just be open with Him and ask Him to help you. Ask Yahweh to forgive you for those sins. Name those sins. Confess means to say the same thing. What Yahweh says about your sins, you say about them. Go ahead and confess them. Get them out to Yahweh. Father Yahweh, I'm so sorry. I hate sin. If you're, if you're a new creation, if you have a new heart and a new spirit, you will hate sin. You'll hate the things that Yahweh hates, love the things that Yahweh loves. Amen? So you get those out. Father, I'm, I'm sorry I confess this to you today. Help me, Father Yahweh. Cleanse me. Purify me. I humbly confess my sins to you. And you don't just confess your sins to Yahweh. Now this next part is hard, but it's Bible. You confess your sins to one another. James 5 says. What James mentions here, confess your sins one to another and pray one for another is what the weak person does who calls for the elders of the church. He or she admits that they're weak. They call for the elders who are generally the spiritually strong in the faith. They confess their sins to them as in private. And they be prayed for that they would be healed spiritually. They remain in the faith. Now, if you have a brother or sister in the faith that is genuine enough that you can confess your sins to, be very thankful. Now, when we put this to practice, I want to encourage us to put this to practice. That doesn't mean you need to blab about your sins to everybody. But you have somebody that you confide in, spiritual brother, spiritual father, spiritual mother in the faith, and you confess to them that you hate your sin, but you struggle with that sin. And that genuine brother or sister will not look down on you for that because you're trying to do better. You're trying to to live according to Yahweh's way. It's not that you love the sin. You, you hate it, but it pops up and you struggle with it. You know, in James chapter 2 where faith without works is dead because it's alone, James two fourteen through 26, somewhere right in there, the beginning of James 3, right after James, he's he's so strong on works. Right after he says that in James 3, verse 2, he says, For we all stumble in many ways. So James isn't saying that we don't stumble. It's the difference between stumbling and practicing. Amen? The difference between those two. whole different thing if you have a sin that you struggle with and you hate and you want to get rid of it and you fight than if you live in it and you love it and you don't repent over it and you keep doing it and you practice it. Two totally different things. If you confess to a genuine brother or sister your sin, they will not stab you in the back. 
They will not stomp on you while you're on the ground. They will not gossip about you. They will seek to help and nurture you back to spiritual health because they love you. They love you. And they will do so because of the fact that every one of us has areas in our life where we fall short of Yahweh's law. I like to say that they might be different. TJ's might be different than Matthew's, might be different than Rocket's, might be different than Tisha's, might be different than Sister Lisa's, might be different than Sister Dorothy's. But we all have areas where we fall short. And so we're here as a family to help one another out. And when somebody comes to you and confides in you and they say, brother or sister, I need to confess. I need to get something off my chest. I need you to pray with me. I need help. Don't stomp on them. Don't get rude with them. Speak the truth to them. But speak it in love and gentleness. Don't gossip about them. Don't go telling the world about it. Keep it to yourself. Pray with them. Your goal is that they would be restored. They would be restored back to spiritual health. Now, understanding texts like these in 1 Kings and James is so encouraging to me because it shows that the Christian faith, the faith when we follow Christ, this faith is not a faith for people that have everything ironed out. But instead, it's a faith for people who know they don't have life all ironed out. But instead, they trust in the one who holds the iron. And he can get all the wrinkles out. He's got that holy iron. And when he puts puts that iron on that shirt, it gets all the wrinkles out and it makes the crease in them pants look perfect. He is Yahweh. Somebody said, we're going to be an assembly without spot or blemish. Let me tell you something. The only way you'll be without spot or blemish is by the blood of, of Yahweh's own son. You won't be it by yourself. You'll need another. You'll need Yahweh's son to do it for you. Heavenly Father, Yahweh, I love you. I thank you. I praise you. I love this assembly. I'm so glad to be part of this congregation. Um, Father, bring us back here for the new moon service starting in your eighth month as we understand it. Father, uh, I lift up uh, all of the requests. Specifically, we didn't get to pray for the Roberts family. Brother McCord, Sister Denane, all the little Robertsites that we pray for them, Father. And we ask that you would heal all them completely, little Ava, Palin, Cohen, and restore them back to health. Father, I pray that this lesson will be encouraging. I ask that I pray that the saints will go home and they meditate and they'd see how encouraging that these truths are. I love you, Father Yahweh. Through your Son, I pray. Amen.